Amen. Oh, that was beautiful. Thanks, Matt. Um, you'll see Matt, yeah. You'll see Matt quite a bit this summer. He's, he's agreed to fill in quite a bit uh, interim basis. So uh, just what incredible voice and, and leader of the spirit. You can just feel it. Uh, well, hi, my name is Cameron. Uh, I know a lot of you, uh, but I don't know all of you. And uh, I'm one of the pastors here, community life pastor. And it is so good to be here. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Uh, uh, yeah, so we, we have been going through a transition, but um, we started in the book of Philippians, right, a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, and uh, we're going we're gonna to keep going through that. So we're going to have different teachers in here throughout the summer, but whenever we get a chance, I think it's good for us to just go back to Philippians, and we'll just work through it. So today, we're going to start in Philippians 3. Um, go ahead and open your Bible with me. Um, and we'll talk about, talk about this. But first, you should know the city of Philippi was much like the city of Scottsdale. And so it's important for us um, to, to recognize the importance of what Paul's saying because it was kind of what, what we're going through as, as a community. Uh, First thing to know is that it was a very transient community, the city of Philippi. Um, it's in Macedonia. It's like northeast Greece is where, where it's located. And it was at the time that Paul was writing this letter, it was on a trade route, right? So you would come, you'd get a lot of people kind of going in and out of Philippi. Instead of going across the Aegean Sea, they would go up through what's modern-day Turkey and go up through the city of Philippi down through Greece. Uh, so a very transient population, much like Phoenix and Scottsdale. Everybody's getting to California, right? Nobody like, actually like, arrives here. Unless, here's the second thing, you're retired, right? So it was a retirement community um, in Philippi. And what happened is, is a couple of uh, centuries, or a couple of decades before um, Paul is writing this letter, there was a battle. And after the battle was over, both sides, not just one side, both sides just kind of stayed there. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So, so it was a retirement community, a bunch of veterans that lived in the city. And Paul, on his second missionary journey, stopped here and he fell in love with the community. He fell in love with the people. And the first place that he fell in love was a women's Bible study. So women, thank you. <laughs> um, I love our women's ministry. So you can see the parallels of, of the city of Philippi and what we're going through. And as Paul's writing in, in the first chapter, he really talks about, and up through the third chapter, this transition of, of leadership that they're going through. And it's just so um, impactful for what, what we're going through as a community too. So um, Philippians 3, start with me in verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Interesting. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. That's an interesting list of uh, accomplishments, especially persecuting the church, zeal for, for persecution. But this is what, at this time, rabbis 
in the Hebrew tradition, especially after the church started, this is what they were known for. This is what gave you accomplishment, accolade. And he continues in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Interesting. All things. He was basing that on the accomplishments, that list that he gave. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So circumcised on the eighth day, Hebrew of Hebrews, as for zeal, persecuting the church, he lists off all these things because these are all the things that he had put so much will and effort and energy into. And, and this, is, this is how he was considered famous. He was considered famous as a Hebrew, Paul. And yet God took a hold of him and completely changed his life. If you know the story of Paul, completely changed his life. This Saul's conversion, right, on the road to, Ma- to Damascus. Um, but I think that if we take out what he's talking about, we all know what maybe our list of accomplishments would be up there, right? You know, and, 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 and I think that for me, sense of approval, right? Oh, I, I worked really hard on this, this project or this agenda, and it came out really good, and it was successful, so I'm going to add it up on the list. Having a perfect family, right? He, he kind of talks about his, his family. He talks about circumcised on the eighth day. That wasn't an accomplishment of him. Who was that an accomplishment of? His family, being a good family. And a Hebrew of Hebrews, his family trained him to speak Aramaic and Hebrew. And so he lists all these things out. And I think that if we went around the room, every single one of us would say, oh yeah, you know, I know, my, I know what would go on that list for me. I know what would be up there if I was making that list, maybe a successful marriage, right? Maybe not. Maybe it's being the top executive, right? Um, and yet, Paul says, I count it all as loss. All these things that made me famous, all these things that I gave as worth, I count it all as loss. And so um, what would make you do that? What would make you count it all as loss? What do we value? I think that's the real question. What do we really value? Because if we value something enough, we might be willing to give up certain things for that. So I have a story. It's these glasses that I'm wearing. You see these? You guys heard of Warby Parker? No, it's a company that sells glasses. And oh, there's a picture of Warby Parker. Um, it was for a long time based as an online company that sold, I think their tagline was a rebellious spirit to offer like low-end glasses, <laughs> like cheap designer eyewear, something like that. So I bought into it. I was like, okay, that sounds great. Um, I don't want to spend money, but I want really cool glasses because I'm, I'm like that, right? So you all will think that I'm much smarter than I am if I wear glasses. 
And so um, they have this home try-on thing, which is cool, because you can just go on. You can do your picture, right? But nobody really wants to just do the picture, because it always looks morphed, and the glasses look like they're like, like mangled on the face. So I did this thing called the home try-on. And they send you, I pick out five glasses, and they send it, and I tried them on, tried on like several different shirts, right? You know, figured out, oh, these are the glasses. These are the ones. I got my wife's approval, which is very important. And they even let you take like pictures and post it online and your friends can vote it. I wasn't like that because I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to burst onto the scene with new glasses and not let anybody know that I was getting them, right? So that's kind of, we, we all do that. We're like, oh yeah, you know, this new shirt or whatever. So I did the home try-on, and, and I got the glasses in the mail. They just sent them to you. They just sent them to my house. And I got them, and I put them on, and, you know, you go in front of the mirror, and you're, like, trying different clothes. Like, oh, man. It's like, it's not the glasses that are changing. The glasses are just on your face, and you're just changing clothes. Like, what does that matter? But we all do it. And uh, don't lie. You do that, too. And almost instantly, they gave me a headache. I was like, what? You know, I paid a... You know, hey, it wasn't the most money because it's cheap designer eyewear, but I paid money for these glasses and they shouldn't be giving me a headache. But it was okay. I went through uh, the night wearing the glasses and the next day I just had the worst migraine. And this, this started happening. And I, I put on my glasses and I'm just like, oh, almost instantly I would get a headache. Um, but it was okay because they looked really cool. And so, so I would get, you know, like, oh, we're going to go out to dinner. I could choose my old glasses or I could choose my new glasses and knowing that, like, tomorrow I'm going to have just this worse migraine and, and I would choose the new glasses every time. It was like, we do this. And, and the funny thing is so I started going to, I went to Costco, like, hey, I was convinced that they were giving me a headache because I just needed to adjust them a little bit. And so I went to Costco, and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, like, we'll change them for you. And then it didn't work. <laughs> and then I went and went to another place, and I was like, oh, I just need to adjust them a little bit. And I had it figured out. And I went, home, I went to the point that I, like, turned on the hot water, right? So with these glasses, you can, like, turn on the hot water. And then I, like, changed them myself. Every book tells you not to do that, but I did it. Um, and then I sent them back because I was like, this isn't working. It, like, they're giving me headaches. They sent me a new pair. Same thing happened. <laughs> so I went to the eye doctor. <laughs> I should have done that first, right? First thing you do when your glasses giving you a headache, go to the eye doctor. But for me, I was convinced, like, it was just the, the changing of the glasses or whatever. So I went to the eye doctor, and they, they retested my eyes and found out that the one thing they didn't measure was the distance, the pupillary distance between my eyes. If you're, um, if you're an optometrist, you, you know that. So you know that term. So what was happening is my lenses were too close. And every time I focused with one eye, the other eye went out of focus. <laughs> and then, I would, you know, like naturally through the day, your, your other eye might focus. And then the other one went out of focus. And this just was happening. It was causing these headaches because every time I looked through one eye, it would get focused for a second, and your eyes just don't have time to really adjust and sit in there in, in that prescription. They just keep changing. It keeps shifting. That's what happens in our lives. We have these cultures. The city of Philippi had the Greco-Roman culture coming up from the West, and they had the Asian 
Judaism culture coming up from the East. And so the church in Philippi had these two competing kind of cultures meeting them. And all of us experience this all the time. Our lens often gets out of focus because we don't know which one we're looking through. We look through one for a little while, and then all of a sudden the other one goes out of focus. And then we switch and look in the other one, and it just gives us a headache. It ends up giving us a headache all the time. And, and Jesus talked about this. I love this. Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. Verse 24. Actually, let's start with verse 22, because I think it's ironic that he uses this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then skip to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And this is really getting back to what Paul is talking about as he talks to the church and lists all these accomplishments. I count them all as loss because that's the wrong vision. I was looking through the wrong lens. I, not that being a rabbi is bad, right? Not that he could, couldn't have taken that list of accomplishments and, and done something with them, but he said, no, not for me. That was the wrong lens. I need to look through a different lens, and that lens is Jesus. And so the, there's, this, there's this law at work in our lives. And it's, it's the reality that you can't just add on to your life. You can't just add on lenses. You can't just add on vision. You have to get rid of one thing for the sake of the other, right? You have to get rid of one master for the sake of the other master. You can't go on in your life looking through two different lenses. So even if you don't you haven't bought into the whole Jesus thing. This is true. This is a life principle. You can't go on living your life trying for one accomplishment and one goal while simultaneously living in another direction. It just doesn't work. It's, you're just going to give yourself a headache, right? You're just going to be like, your, your focus is constantly going to be changing. It's going to be competing. And that's what Jesus hits on here. But revolutionary when you think about the fact that Paul says, I've traded a righteousness of the law for a righteousness of faith in Jesus. Two lenses from which to view the world. What I think is so interesting is righteousness of the law for much of the Bible was a good thing, right? So he's trading one good thing for an even better thing. He's changing one really great thing that God gave us, which was the law to help us know what was right or wrong in our lives, and he's trading it for a full-out committed life in Jesus. I love this quote by Tim Keller. He says, the idol of success cannot be just expelled. It must be replaced. The idol of success cannot be just expelled. It must be replaced. And that's the, that's the truth, not just with the idol of success, but with any idol, okay? If there's a sin if there's um, something that you consider a success, something you consider a value, and it doesn't line up 
with God. So you fill in the blank. The idol of blank cannot be just expelled. It must be replaced. So think about that. What is that in your life? And that's, as we continue to go today, be thinking about, is there one thing, is there one idol that I have that I've been trying to maybe add on to or look through a different lens of, and it's causing me to get out of focus in my relationship with Jesus? And, and, and this, is, this is a truth. This is a life, life principle. It cannot be just expelled. It must be replaced. So maybe that's work. Maybe that's sex or drugs achievement. Maybe for you, you've been just carrying this burden and it's somehow become your idol because it's through, it's the filter, it's the lens through which everything of your life is, points back to, points back to this thing and I just can't get past it. And I think we spin our wheels by trying to just add on to this. We try to just um, move forward with these two lenses thinking, oh, if I just do this, if I just get this, then, then this idol, this thing in my life will, will go away. But it has to be replaced. Let me tell you, tell you another story. My son Knox, he's two and a half. Some of you have seen him run around. He's got blonde hair and he just runs everywhere. I think he's run into a few of you in the lobby. Like as you're just walking, he just runs all, all the time, so much energy. And um, he, what he got from his mother is this passion and this love for animals, okay? If you know my wife, you'll laugh because we have chickens in our backyard. We have a tortoise. We've had dogs and cats and all sorts of animals. And that is not my doing. That is not my choice. Uh, if it was up to me, we'd have maybe one or two dogs and that would be it. But uh, instead, we have a chicken and our house is like a farm. So um, if you want to see a farm in Phoenix, come over to our house and, and you can check it out. And so... Uh, so she passed that to Knox, and Knox has fallen in love with animals. It's just crazy. And so the other day, he said, you know, I want to go to the pet store. I want to go. And uh, I want to go get a pet donkey and a pet, like, like, what? I don't think we can get that at the pet store, but we'll go. We'll go to the pet store. Um, and so we went, and we were looking around the pet store, and he had brought in like this, this, this fake lizard with him too. And somehow he locked eyes on the lizard container and just like ran up to it and slammed the glass. And probably, you know, the lizard was like, ah, you know, and, and like almost died in that moment. But um, he ran up to it with the enthusiasm and, and he, he was convinced, I have to have this lizard. <laughs> I have to have it. You don't understand. Well, he's two and a half, so he's just like, lizard, lizard, lizard. But, you know, that's what's going on in his mind. You know, I have to have this treasure. And, and you know, once we got him out of the store, kicking and screaming, and he, he just wanted to take it with him, we sat him down and said, hey, Knox, we thought this is a perfect opportunity to teach him a lesson, right? Knox, if you really love this lizard, it was a bearded dragon, if you really love it, then we'll take the money from your piggy bank and we'll start giving you money as you do chores. Like 25 cents, right? <laughs> take him a long time to get a lizard. He'll forget about it. Um, first thing every morning, he wakes up. Dada, get my lizard? <laughs> every night before bed, Dada, lizard? <laughs> like, no, bud, you got a long way to go. 
but if you want to make more money, maybe we can grandpa and grandma <laughs> in the loop, and they'll start dropping like $5 bills because they'll get sick of him asking, right? Um, <laughs> that's what grandparents are for. Um, so, so, but we've been giving him money. So 25 cents, 50 cents, if you help mom. You know, we have a new baby too, so, you know, hey, if you, if you sweep the floor or whatever, and he just makes a mess of it. But we're teaching him a lesson. You, you know, you got to do these chores. You got to put away the laundry. It's always unfolded when he takes it. But that's, it's okay. It doesn't matter. The, the reality is that he's building up money for something he values. He's trading it. And that's the principle. That's the principle that Paul's talking about here in Philippians. If you find something so valuable, a treasure that you know, it, I want this. I need to have this. It takes time. You have to build up to it and then replace it with something else. You have to give something in order to get something. And that's, that's the lesson that Knox has been learning. I have to give away this money, which is cool, and he likes money a whole lot more than you would think a two-and-a-half-year-old does because it's shiny and, you know, like, oh, I get to put it in my piggy bank. And he loves it, but he, he doesn't want to get rid of it. But you have to. That's, that's, the, that's what drives our economy. That's what drives our culture. That's everything in our lives. We've had to give up something to get something. Jesus talks about this, too. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Just gives us two quick parables. I think they're just so spot on. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's what Knox is doing with his lizard. And that's what we should be doing with our lives. If you find something so valuable that it's worth so much, that treasure in your life, go buy that field. Sell everything that you have. And it's this subtraction. It's this addition by subtraction, right? If, if, if I see this thing and this is more valuable to me than this other thing that I have, I have to get rid of this other thing first before I fill it with this better thing. Second parable, just after this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He says these parables right after each other, as if, like, he's making a point. <laughs> and he is. Jesus is saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven, the life that you want, if you've been toiling and trying to add on things to your life, it's not going to work. You have to give up something in order to get something. And that's what Paul says. You have to give up your accomplishments, whatever has given you success, and whatever you feel like is your idol, you have to give it up. It can't just be expelled. You have to replace it with something better. The field, the fine pearls. Now, I, I want to point out, this doesn't mean that you all just quit your jobs and become missionaries, right? Like, what does this really mean? Does that mean that, you know, we have to go sell our house and like give the money to the poor. No, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all, and I don't think that's what Paul's saying. 
just because Paul did that doesn't mean that we did that. He was talking to an entire city of Philippi, knowing that they would never leave that city, right? They're never going to go out. He's talking to the city. So how do you transform the lives, your very lives, the very things that you're passionate about, and give those over to God? So N.T. Wright, theologian, talks about the difference of a Christmas tree and a fruit tree. Christmas time, my wife and I love to drive around the neighborhoods and look at all the lights. And they're beautiful. We love looking at the lights. It's one of our favorite things to do. And you'll, you'll drive around, and every once in a while, you'll see a house that has so many trees, so many lights. Shimmer. It's just like, oh, this is, and they got the music playing, and it's, and it's awesome. If you drive back the next day, <laughs> right, it doesn't look so awesome. It looks kind of bland and ordinary, and you know the, the lights aren't lit, and it's during, this, during the day. You drive back during the day, and it doesn't look so beautiful anymore. It looks just really ordinary. Or if you drive a week after Christmas, and it's all taken down, you're like, whoa, where'd you know, where all the ornaments and the lights go? That's kind of a boring tree. And a fruit tree. Think about the difference of a Christmas tree that you or put ornaments on, you put lights on. It becomes beautiful by adding and adorning things on it. And a fruit tree, which is just naturally beautiful. We have an orange tree in our backyard, and, and it's, it's beautiful. And it just grows, and it's naturally growing into an orange tree. And out of it grow fruit. It understands its purpose and its identity as an orange tree. And when it's doing its job, it's producing fruit. And the fruit are what adorn the tree. And that's what Jesus, Jesus and Paul talk about all the time, the fruits of the Spirit versus the fruits of the flesh. Become a good tree. But instead, what do we do in our culture? What do we do all the time? We try to say, if, I'm, if I want to be more loving, then I just need to add on more love. <laughs> I just need to go to the store and buy more cards or send more thank you notes. Or Well, I think what Paul's saying is, wait, maybe you have to become powerless in your love. Give it all over to God and let him transform your love and the way you think about love so that it becomes better than what you already have. Instead of just adding things on, Maybe we're supposed to go back to square one and how do I think about love? What is love to me? And what is love to Jesus? Start from there. Remove it. And then start from square one. What does God say that love is? And you can do this with everything. You can do this with sin. And this is the, the grounding principle of AA programs, right? So this is step one. Admit your powerlessness. And I think that that's step one because that's the only foundation from which you can build up upon is getting back to nothing. I'm powerless in this area, which can then speak a new reality, a new identity into the areas of our lives. So instead of quitting your job, what if you stopped and said, for a second, I'm going to think about how I could become powerless and give my work over to Jesus to allow him to speak a new reality and the passion that I have every day as I go to work. There's this quote by Scott McKnight, and I just love it. If you give yourself to Jesus, he transforms your talents and your dreams and your abilities and your mind 
and your job and your grades and the relationship to the ones you love and your money, and he converts them into kingdom explorations and kingdom challenges. You see, it's not adding on. It's subtracting so that it can be completed. It's an addition by subtraction. And that's, that's what being a fruit tree and bearing fruit is all about. How do I be a really good fruit tree so that when I, as I grow, as I mature, you see the fruit, not the ornaments? Because we all know you can see the ornaments in other people, right? You can see when they're just adding on something like, well, you know, that person's not very nice, but they're trying to act nice, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. They're trying to act nice, and we can all see through it. What if instead you said, I'm going to rethink the way I treat people? Stop, start back at what Jesus says and how to treat people and see the fruit that's produced by allowing him to complete that process inside of me. But it takes sacrificing something. Even in our best efforts, we can't add on the things of Jesus. You have to subtract first. And there is this beauty in losing the life we thought we wanted for the life we really need. Lose the life that you thought you wanted for the life that God tells us we really need. You really need to get rid of these things so that you can be made new in Christ Jesus. And God gave us an example of this, and, and it's powerful and it's impacting. And so as I land the plane, and we're going to focus here a little bit on, on this gift that God gives us, and his name is Jesus. God said, I value something so much that I'm willing to give my only son for it. Because, see, what God realized is that the law that he had created didn't do what he had designed it to do. So he said, you know, here's the law, and the people, instead of getting a lizard, we responded with something much less than, much different than what he had set out for. But, but, but the law was, was important because it taught us what right and wrong were, and that's what Paul's saying, a righteousness for the law. It was a good thing. I learned, if you read the teachings of Jesus, you see that he's, the law was good and that it taught us the power of good and evil. But it stopped short. It wasn't quite what we needed. So instead, God sends his son, Jesus. He said, something is so valuable, I'm going to give my only son. I can't imagine giving my, my son Knox. But he said, it's so valuable and so important that something is you. He said, you are so important to me that I'm going to live by this very principle. I'm going to subtract to add. I'm going to get rid of the one thing that I hold so close my son, for you. And that's the gospel, guys. That's good news. And today, we can be reminded of the fact that 
God loves us so much that he was willing to give Jesus and he would be willing to do it again because he loves you. And he knew that the only way to get us, really, to the, the fullness of what he came to do is in Jesus. Jesus on the cross, he became, he humbled himself even to the point of death. That's what it says. He humbled himself even to the point of death so that we might have life and have life to the full. And that's the gospel. So as the band comes up, I want you to think about that thing that I asked you to think about at the beginning. What's my idol? What have I, maybe the lens that I've been looking at the world through, or maybe the lizard I've been saving up money for, or maybe I've been trying to adorn myself with ornaments or lights, certain things to get this. And the reality is, God's saying, give it over to me. Let me speak a new identity to you and your career and your family and your marriage and your addiction and your sin. Let me help you get rid of that so that I can fill that space. In a second, we're gonna, the ushers are going to come and pass the bread and the cup. Because I think it's so important for us to always get back to this, what, what Jesus offered, the bread, his body, given for you. The blood, given for you, for new covenant, a new reality, a new identity in Christ Jesus. That's what he came to do. And that's why the bread and the cup is so powerful, is because it's us reminding each other that we are worth his sacrifice. The treasure, God's treasure, is here. Because of Christ now, our response should be back to God in a relationship with him. So as you take the bread, hold it, eat it, hold the cup, we'll take that together. And remember and think about the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us, for our value.